The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinking Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome in to the Stinking Truth Podcast. Uh, Mark Slareth, along with Mike Evans, Scott the Hub, producing the show. I've got a great show for you. First off, I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over there at Core Water. I'm telling you what, you're going to love to hydrate with Core. Such great water, award-winning, crisp, clean taste. Uh, a pH balance that matches your body's natural balance of 7.4. So I, I don't know what exactly that means other than you're going to function at a higher rate, I suppose. I don't know. Anyhow, I love the water. It's great. Giant suck hole. Um, gets you all that water right into your gullet. I mean, just like that. Easy as pie. Check them out, uh, hydratewithcore.com. Mike, uh, kind of the aftermath of the Super Bowl, and it was interesting. One of the you know, one of the questions that I got a lot here over the last week is I was out at Fox and doing the, you know, the national television stuff is um, about the whole Todd Gurley decision. Like, what did you make of what went down in the Super Bowl with Todd Gurley? Because we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast, but we didn't really kind of put a bow on it, if you will, or dive deep into it. He has to be hurt. He has to be. There, there's no other rational explanation for taking a guy who was a, a, an MVP candidate, was putting up crazy numbers. Look, we all play fantasy football, right? Scored 21 touchdowns, Mike. Anybody on the who plays fantasy football can tell you what kind of beast Todd Gurley was this season. Mm-hmm. So you get down to the two biggest games of the year, the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, and and he's MIA for most of that game. It just It just does not make sense other than the fact that he was just hurt. Everybody denies the injury, though. Like, Why would they do that? Uh, see, okay, so see let, to me, let me because yeah. here's my question: I don't think you're doing Todd Gurley any favors here. No, you're you're making it look like there's this huge mystery regarding Todd Gurley when maybe all you just need to come on and say, dude was hurt. Okay, so here's this is my theory because there's one of there's one of three things that could have happened here: either Todd Gurley is hurt, I I and I agree with that. I think he's hurt. But here is one of there's one of three things that would explain this away. All right, Todd Gurley's hurt, and you had to manage the injury, okay? And that's the way they decided to manage the injury. Or there is some type of riff between Todd Gurley, Sean McVay, and the organization. And you were doing it kind of a la Malcolm Butler to punish him, okay? Or thirdly, it was the worst game plan ever created for a Super Bowl. Your wonder kid that coaches your football team, the guy that everybody's trying to replicate. You're trying to go off and get these young coaches that, you know, have brushed up against Sean McVay and, and you know, had some scent left on them. That's what you're trying to create. So it's one of those three things. Now, I believe that he's injured. And I've had this argument with several different people. And this is what I think has happened, Mike. Okay? So I'm going to take you kind of behind the curtain. 
So I think he got injured. I think they reported it for a while. Remember, he missed a couple of games, and they went after and got and signed C.J. Anderson. All right? Then he came back. He got off the injury report, and they still never really utilized him to the fullest, even though they said he's got no limitations, he's 100%, he's fine, right? He's not injured. So I'm calling a game for Fox. This was last season, 2017. And the head coach, I'm in meeting with the head coach. And I said, so what's up with number blah, blah, blah? What's up with this guy? And the head coach goes, what are you talking about? I go, dude, what's up with this guy? Seriously, what's going on? This guy's an elite level player. He's not playing very well. What's going on? And he's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I go, dude, I watched the film. What is happening? He goes, okay, let me show you. So he gets out the film, and he goes, this guy took this brutal shot. We've had him MRI'd several times. We thought he tore his ACL. The MRI was inconclusive or didn't show a torn MCL or ACL, excuse me. Um, and he's been playing through it. But you can't say anything on the television broadcast because we didn't report it. And when you don't report a significant injury, you're you're opening yourself up to be fined by the NFL and for draft choices to be taken from you. Todd Gurley, by the way, was not on the final injury report. Super Bowl injury report. Yeah. So I believe that they basically covered up an injury. This happens all the time in the NFL, all the time. I believe they covered up an injury. They didn't report it. Henceforth, they have to lie about it. Henceforth, Todd Gurley looks terrible. But he's hurt. There, Where have you ever seen somebody's backup come in and spell a star player for more than a few plays or one series? When a backup comes that you signed off the street that been cut by two teams comes in there, and he's C.J. Anderson is a really good player. Don't get me wrong. But where have you ever seen, hey, uh, backup, go in for the next three series while we rest our starter? Dude, that doesn't happen unless you've got a significant injury. Something's going on there, and I believe that they just didn't report it to try to make sure that people didn't go after it, and therefore they can't say anything because they lied about it. And they're going to get a draft choice taken away from them, depending upon how severe it is. Then stink. That's that's the dumbest thing in all of this. Then why not just put him on the injury report? Who cares? Okay, he was limited in practice. He's questionable for the Super Bowl. Who cares? We know as fans every single week. We know that when we get the final injury report on Thursday or Friday. And it says so and so is listed as questionable, which means 50 50 to play. Mm-hmm. But 90% of the time, the guy that's listed as questionable plays. Everybody accepts that. Everybody knows that. So if you're the Rams, why put yourself in a position where you could potentially be fined? Put him on the injury report. Who cares? Well, I, I think there are. Especially when everybody in the business, you think the Patriots... Don't think he's injured. Right? Right. 
So I you get, think the fact that he wasn't on the injury report, they're like, uh-oh, Todd Gurley's healthy. Even though what we saw in the last game, he didn't look right. healthy, but he's not on the injury report, so we got to prepare like he's healthy. The, the fear in the NFL, unlike in hockey, if you have an injury in hockey, you have a lower body injury. In football, you have to list the injury. And we all, as players, are paranoid about listing a specific injury because guys try to go after it. Coaches try to go after it. And I'm not talking about maliciously. Now, there are some, very few, that have malicious intent. But I'm just tar- I'm just talking about, hey, when you tackle this guy, tackle him on the right knee if you can. Don't go up high. Everybody go after the knee. So I'll give you, for instance, when we used to game plan and we knew a corner had a hamstring or a quad he was nursing, the very first play of the game, we'd run a nine. We'd get him matched up in man coverage, and we'd say, go. Let's roll, baby. Or if they're, like, sitting playing cover two and a corner's got a leg injury and that guy's just rolling up and you run a nine by him and he just rolls up, he's playing cover two. All right, so the next play we're going to run is 18-19 Bob. And your responsibility as the guard is to get out beyond everything and now get to that corner because it's a wide kind of toss play and cut him. Go after and and it let's go after his legs. Let's test this guy. There is a certain, you know, sharks in the water and that injured guy is a bag of chum. And like it's a brutal game, man. That's and it's the way we have all played. And you know, we try to soften it and we try to make sure that everybody thinks you know it's all about player safety and we care we're the NFL but ultimately within the organizations and I'm not talking about malicious but I am talking about let's make sure we test it um that may sound brutal but it's just fact it's the way it is and that's why teams don't like to list specific injuries they don't um but I, I, I still I still think that there's been so much damage done to the rep of Todd Gurley. Either he's not tough enough or he's mentally weak and he just couldn't be counted on. I mean, those are significant hits to your reputation. I just think the Rams could have covered. I get what you're saying. You're trying right. to protect yourself against getting fined or getting docked draft picks, but you either should have handled his inclusion on the injury report differently or just after the fact come on and say, yeah, he was healthy, but he he kind of tweaked it a little bit on Saturday during our walkthrough, or he tweaked it during In pre-game, uh, pre-game warm-up. warm-ups, yeah. you know, and then, right. you know, at that point there, it goes away. A, do you think maybe there's some type of riff? Well, like, boy, that happened. What, what, I mean, it's possible. Look, last year's Super Bowl, Bill Belichick inexplicably benched Malcolm Butler, and we never really got a reason got for that. Answer. No. You know what's crazy to me? But does the Sean McVay coaching in his first Super Bowl it just, uh, take it that just, kind of a hard line with like, his best player? It seems to me the only thing that makes sense to me is he's more injured than he's than he's given credit for. But going back to though the worst game plan ever. So the Patriots are a big we have to set the edge team in the running game. And the Rams are a big wide zone handoff team. And so the Patriots did a great job, two things. One, walking up linebackers, getting in the line of scrimmage so every guy is covered. Pass pro, it makes you basically go man across the board. All five guys are in man kind of blocking schemes. 
So they did a great job of using pick stunts and, and games with all five guys covered. They drop a guy, but they basically get guys picked, and they did a really good job of pressuring Jared Goff, right? With all five guys, and I heard this point. Somebody made this. I don't know who it was. I can't remember, but it was a great point. By putting guys in the line of scrimmage, it eliminates all the jet sweep stuff. It eliminates your eyes from getting fooled because you're on the line of scrimmage, so you're not paying attention to all the jet sweep that's all just kind of eye candy anyhow. The illusion of complexity, as Sean McVay calls it. So that was another thing. They only had one linebacker kind of off the ball. So everybody was on the ball. So it eliminated, you know, false reads, so to speak. So that was good. Um, I will tell you this. The thing that shocks me about when you walk guys up, the easiest thing in the world, and they're setting an edge like they're setting, is to get outside of that edge. So anytime you you take in that offense, that wide zone offense, there are there's a there's a pitch play, which is a, a strong toss play, right? And toss is what we used to call toss weak and pitch strong. And so the fact that you didn't put in some pin and pull pitch, meaning the easiest block in the world, if a guy's walked up over my guard to block back on that guy, easy. It's like the easiest block we have in, in of any block. So all of a sudden, you you run a couple of guys that are a crack, you know, like tight end or wide receiver motion down. They crack the edge. It's a perfectly angled block. It's the easiest block in football. And now we pitch to the outside, and we get beyond. And everybody's everybody's in the line of scrimmage so that you don't have any flow, guys. Like, the fact that you never went to some type of pitch and pull, you know, toss and and, and, and – um, you know, toss play where you where you're blocking back and you're basically cracking on that outside linebacker is like it it's one of the easiest plays to execute. It's in your offense and you never got to it. I think when Sean McVay goes back and after he gets done kind of, you know, lamenting this loss, he's gonna go back and look at it and go, he already admitted it right after the game. This is the worst game I coached. Like I got got out coached. I think it's gonna be one of the worst games he's ever called what you're describing some really interesting sound when Belichick was mic'd up during the course of the game and you've heard a lot of that sound released one of the cool things is he's talking to his defensive guys during one of the um, huddles and he's like stay vertical stay vertical he kept talking about being vertical in the run game Uh and the pass game so is that what you're describing is that to not get caught up in any of that eye candy just everything was mm-hmm. straight up field. Yeah. Whether it was playing the run game or playing or rushing the quarterback, mm-hmm. it was all about staying vertical. Right. Is that staying what you're vertical. describing? And, getting, and is that the right. fatal flaw too? Right. Getting, How you combat that? Getting depth in the pass pro. Don't get caught don't get caught up on all the horizontal right. side to side crap. Right. Like Just, because they get you so much side to side crap and they get you stuck in those underneath zones on all that side to side crap, and then they hit you with the vertical passing, you know, the vertical right. passing tree. And that's what he's talking about, you know, where, where like, for instance, you get a flat defender and you run some jet sweep out there and that flat defender doesn't get any depth. So now all of a sudden that flat defender is sitting where he should be, you know, he should get eight eight yards off the ball, maybe even 12 yards off the ball, depending on how far that guy is behind the line of scrimmage. Like you should get some depth there. And what they do is now all of a sudden they're at four yards because they see that horizontal 
that horizontal receiver out there in the flat, and then they run a vertical guy underneath him, you know, a, a sail route or a corner route, and it's an automatic 15 yards because there's such a huge window between the deep corner covering that third of the field, for instance, and that roll-up guy, whoever that flat defender happens to be. So he's saying, stay vertical. Let's keep our depth here. Let's not get caught up in the in the three-yard gain to the to the flat. Let's make sure we get our depth so we don't get beat over the top, so we don't give up the big play. I'll tell you the other thing about Belichick. I don't know if you saw this. If you haven't, just search it on on Google or on your Twitter account or whatever. Pre-game. He's talking about the roof to one of the officials. When are they going to close this roof? This roof is supposed to be closed. And they go, well, as soon as the flyover goes, then this the roof in Atlanta, it takes about eight minutes to close. It needs to be closed before the kickoff. Will it be closed? Well, we're not sure. It just depends on when they said it. But we're going to kick off at a certain time. And he's like, well, there's a swirling wind in here. And I want to know if the roof is going to be – like the attention to details, unbelievable. Then he talks to his special team coordinator and goes, all right, um, you know, we're – He's always deferring. He goes, okay, if we get if we get it, let's just kick it off so we don't have the wind. You know, so we've got the wind at our back so we can sail into the end zone. Like that attention to detail, like there is no there there is no point that is too small to not be coached. I I mean I, I found it fascinating. You should see it. Like he is worried about the opening kickoff and whether that that roof is going to be slightly open because there's a bit of a swirling wind. Like this guy is this guy is a freak show. So okay, what you're describing is that just the the, the game plan, staying vertical and don't get caught with all the right. eye candy. Is that just another example of Belichick's brilliance or is it sort of kind of simple, the kind of sim- simple type game plan that if I'm a coach of one of these teams that got torched by the Rams this past year, I'm left thinking, why didn't I do that? You know what I'm getting at? Is this right. is this like revolutionary stuff that Belichick did, or is this the kind of stuff that any coach, and in this case McVay, should have seen coming well, and should have had a, a plan for? No, I think I think so many coaches are caught up in their systems. This is how we do it. Why? Well, because we've done it this way forever. Like, don't question me. It's like parenting, right? This do as I say, not as I do. Right. This is what we do. Don't drink alcohol. Meanwhile, you're hammered in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. Go to bed. You know, I mean. So, By the way, quick aside. Yeah. I now have a teenage daughter. Right. I I hope she's not listening to this because... I can't tell you how many times anything you do. I can't tell you how many times I have said to her not to do something, and uh-huh. in the back of my mind, I was like, "Oh my God, I did that! I did that! Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember that time I did that." It's right. so hypocritical. We are a bunch of hypocrites as parents, aren't we? Not me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anywho, anywho, yes. Uh, now I think I think the brilliance of Bill Belichick is his ability to morph his football team in whatever he needs his football team to be to win. And I think that's the brilliance. You know, I, I did five Arizona games this year, and I was talking to an Arizona player the other day. I was at a Super Bowl and I bumped into him. We we're just talking about 
Steve Wilkes in general. He said, I think he got a raw deal. Like he one year and they fired him, you know, and now he's the coordinator in Cleveland. But he took a defense that was one of the top defenses in football that played a 3-4 defense that had personnel of these really small, fast, speedy linebackers, and he created a 4-3 out of that, and he made those linebackers play in a position where they just couldn't defend. Like, you're going to be, you know, we're not going to blitz and twist and do this stuff. We're going to take on blocks. Well, you got an outside linebacker in Dayon Buchanan who's been a Pro Bowl player that's 220 pounds, was a former college safety, that has made a living knifing underneath blocks and making plays in the backfield and doing all that stuff, who became a guy that was riding the bench because he couldn't take on a 330-pound guard. Hey, no shit. Like, he's 212 pounds. He, yeah, he can't take on a 300. Well, you got to stud up and hold your point and then keep your outside arm for, you know, you're like, dude, I, I'm 212. I was a DB. That's not how I built. And so Bill Belichick's brilliance truly is I can morph in whatever I need to be. Whatever our team needs, I can coach that up. And I have smart enough players, and I put them through the paces where they're not, they're not a, like, they're not a, uh, a one-dimensional. This is our system. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, we should have him on. Jeff Schwartz, former player, his brother, um, you know, plays for Mitchell Schwartz, plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, a great offensive tackle. Jeff Schwartz, I saw him do a breakdown on Twitter. Sixteen different, distinctly different run concepts that the Patriots in the running game that the Patriots ran. 16 different. I'm like, I've never seen that. In all my years of, of covering this game and playing this game, I mean, we ran six plays. We did have a bunch of different formations and personnel groupings and all that stuff, but we run really, like any given game plan, you run about six plays. Because now you think about this. Six plays, and let's say there are, let's say there's five variations of, of base defense. And, you know, and then nickel is another, f- like, three or four variations. Well, let's just call it for the simple, because you know I'm not good at math. So just make it simple. Let's call it ten different defenses you're going to face. Six plays. Now, all of a sudden, that's essentially 60 plays I have to know because every every time I get a different defense, it changes my technique. It changes my responsibility, right? So at the drop of a hat, blue 80, blue 80, they shift. Man, my responsibility changes, and I have to know what to do right now. So that's 60 different just run plays, okay? They had 16 different plays they ran versus 10 variations of defense. That's 160 different things that you have to know, and it goes, blue 80, blue 80. They shift. Sit up. As they shift, you got to change it. Like, think about what you have to, the mental capacity the players of New England had to go through, that gymnastics that they had to go through, like, that's unheard of. That's how that's how well coached they are, and I, I'm just telling you, nobody else does it. But to to me, Mark, though, it's it's that sticking to what you know, rigid, stubborn, mm-hmm. the lack of adaptability that you're describing that so many coaches are guilty of. Uh huh. That is, if I'm a football fan, I find that really disturbing, really disconcerting, really disappointing. That all these guys who are supposed to be the best of the best, uh-huh. the guys that are in charge of my football team, they can't adapt. Right. 
they're so right. stuck married to one system that they run up against a, a, a team, a coach, a coaching staff that does throw a lot of different stuff mm-hmm. at them, and they're powerless to react either because they can't or because right. they won't. Yeah, oh, that, that that's but it happens all it happens all over the place. Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, I read this story. I think it was in Monday Morning Quarterback that he came to them on Saturday morning walkthrough and said, hey, man, I've been thinking about this. If we get in this situation, um, I want to make sure that that we have talked about these plays that we didn't practice all week, but I want to work on – on. I want to th- put this in your head. We may go to these, you know, five or six plays. And it turns out that's exactly what they did in that final drive that scored the touchdown. Split the running backs out beyond the numbers. What happened when the running backs split beyond the numbers? It, it automatically tells you – it automatically gives you a couple indicators. Running back motions out beyond the numbers, and nobody goes with him. The corners out there, they're 100% straight zone. That's what they're in. And so they did it on that last drive, I think three plays in a row, and I believe it was three plays, the exact formation, the exact thing, and, and you know three distinctly different plays all run out of the exact same set, and they, they put that running back out there outside the numbers, and they got zone. And I think it was, you know, I think Edelman in the middle of the football field got one. I think, you know, Gronk got the block and release on the sideline that was the first one for like 18 yards. Edelman in the middle of the field, and then Gronk again. Um, you know, Gronk again getting matched up on a linebacker um, in that drive, I believe, to get him down to like the two-yard line or whatever. But, but like the indicators were, the indicators were there. And maybe the Gronk, Gronk got lined up with a linebacker that had a safety in the middle of the field, and that linebacker played inside leverage, didn't get him, you know, didn't get outside leverage on him because he was over there late, meaning that Gronk had a free release to the outside with room as opposed to that guy funneling him back to the one high safety. You know, and, and this game is all about number counts and leverages, and, and, you know, if you can go, like I've always said, the key as you get older and start losing athleticism is, all right, where's my help? Like, where can I funnel a guy so that I have help and, and I don't get myself caught up in all that stuff? And, um, you know, they're just they're just more prepared. Is it, in fairness to these other teams, Belichick's been there two decades. Right. McDaniels has been with him for, for I a think, long time. close yeah. to a decade. Uh, so his offensive line coach, Dante Scarnecchia, you know, went away for a little while, but all in all, he's been there. Right, for, retired. Forever. They just drug him back out of retirement. So, what you've got is you've got a coaching staff, a philosophy, a relationship between the head coach and his his cop assistants, where all they've been doing over the years is just adding to everything that they already established as their base. Right, and so it gives them the the freedom. Right. To have all these different run concepts because all they're doing is they're just stacking on what mm-hmm. they've been doing forever. Whereas so many of these coaching staffs, you know, they're, they're just starting out. They've just been right. put together. But that's they why don't I, have that kind right. of you've heard it foundation. Before, you've run it. So over the course of the season, you've run all those concepts based on your game plan, based on where you're going, you know, and what you think you can exploit. But um, you know, it's it's one of the reasons that continuity becomes important, Mike. And, you know, there's nobody that has more continuity than the New England Patriots when it comes to coaching staff stuff. And it's why, for two decades, they've they've dominated. So, I mean, that is, that's case in point. That's that's why they're better than you. They're like global, Jim. We're better than you. And we know it, right? 
I mean, Bill Belichick is the white Goodman of football. There you go. That's what he is. There you go. All right, for everybody involved. You know what? Next week, pretty I want to talk about fascinating Super Bowl to yeah. talk about. That was just thirteen to three, right? Right. Um, you know what? I'm, I, when we come back next week, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, just about the coaching hires. Let's break down all the coaching hires, and we'll rank them when we come back next week. Ooh, eight of them. Eight coaching hires. Kind of what we think. Um, and I think a lot of people have changed their tune a little bit um, after the Super Bowl and after mm. the debacle that was the Los Angeles Rams. But we'll talk about that. Everybody involved with the Stink of Truth podcast, we thank you so much for listening. Thank the, our presenting sponsors, Core Water, and uh, we will be back with you next week. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast, presented by Core Water. Subscribe to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and plenty of other podcast platforms.